for Tuesday, July 25th, 2023. Coming to you from the Go Go Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Weston Wall Center. The iconic Weston Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're out by the airport looking for a nibble, might we suggest the apron? Eat locally, fresh, eat well. Vibrant cuisine and cocktails at the apron at the Weston Wall Center. YVR, Mansa Karras, alongside Jeff Patterson, sitting in for Blake Price this week. Grace Asset and Switches conducting things. And this show, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. Now, I've already been out to Applewood Nissan Langley for a Cops for Cancer event last week. Been out to Applewood Nissan Richmond in the Richmond Auto Mall. Looking forward to getting out to Applewood Nissan Surrey. And right now, you can get the 23 Centra starting from $83 weekly, the 23 Kicks for $65 weekly, or the 23 Rogue at $99 weekly because Jeff Patterson. It's all good. At Apple, indeed it is. Good to have you back. Yeah, looking forward to this week as we discussed yesterday. We're we're doing a theme here this week, looking at the Vancouver Canucks and Stanley Cup contention. What has prevented it to this date? What they'll need to do to be a Stanley Cup contender going forward? And to wit, aspirational poll question here, Jeff. Bodog poll question: How many players away are the Canucks from Stanley Cup contention? You can vote two three, four, or other. And if you vote other, please specify in your reply. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day for me, and we'll discuss them later in the show, at least is on dry land. But Connor Bedard, the North Shore prodigy, the over-under for goals in his rookie season is set at 31 and a half. I'm betting on this kid until he proves otherwise. <laughs> Over 31 and a half goals on your Bodog line of the day. How you doing? I'm good. Somebody was listening to you and to us. Because uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. off air, you mentioned to me, there's still some names out there in, yeah. in the hockey world. Yeah. And one of them was Patrice Bergeron. Right. Well, we now know. He is retiring. Mm-hmm. Of course, Tony D'Angelo has also signed here. That was one of the other. We were, and look, it's still a pretty good looking list of players who are available on the free agent market. Patrick Kane, Vlad- Vladimir Tarasenko, Matt Dumba. A little more down lineup, but Tatar, Pius Suter, we've talked about him a fair yeah. bit. Ethan Bear, the Vancouver Canucks, he does not have a deal yet. Of course, has that shoulder injury. Previous high draft picks like. Yessi Pugliarvi, Maxime Comtois, Caleb Jones available, Seth's, bro- Seth's brother. And then there's the guys who you wonder if they're going to play next year. Now, we have word from Patrice Bergeron that that's that, but David Krejci, another centerman with the Bruins. Paul Stastny, what he's, what's he going to do after his year in Carolina? Jonathan Taves, it's kind of a, we were talking yesterday, there's very quiet around that situation, right? Especially given that Bedard's going in there. Wouldn't you want Jonathan Taves back to sort of shepherd? Well, I think they've closed that door. I think they came out and said, like, they had their fond farewell mm-hmm. for him. I I don't know if he plays, but I am pretty sure if he does, it's not going to be, be in, Chicago. in Chicago. And then Zach Parisi, also without contract. And you wonder yeah. whether he's going to he's gonna keep on keeping on. Tony D'Angelo winds up signing back in Carolina after this scuttled deal with Philadelphia. 
gets $1.6 million this year. And, of course, 1 slash 6, an infamous date in American politics. There were many a comedian on Twitter last night at Dr. Evil Gritty. Smart move by Tony and his agent. Now when you Google Tony D'Angelo 1-6, this is the first result. <laughs> Comtois said he wants to play with the Montreal Canadiens, but they're not interested. <laughs> I want to play with the Montreal yeah, Canadiens. Exactly. <laughs> doesn't work that way. Um, before we get in, like, are any of these names feasible for the Canucks or because no cap space, just forget about them? Yeah, I mean, the cap space is a, a massive issue still for the Vancouver Canucks. The cap space is a, a Tyler Myers deal, right? Like, that's the first penny that has to drop here? Is that how you see it? Myers or others. I mean, the same candidates that we've talked about uh, ad nauseum could still get peddled away. They've got uh, a glut of wingers. I think they've got hopes for Pod Colson and Hoaglander. And if those guys are going to make this team, it's going to come at the expense of somebody. Uh, so maybe a clearer path in that regard. But yeah, I mean, the Canucks are still over the cap as it stands right now. Um, you know, they were linked to Comtois there ahead of free agency. That obviously hasn't happened. Uh, Pius Suter, I, I still think, could and would be an upgrade at third-line center over Teddy Bluger, who, in my mind, is more of a fourth-line center. But I think he's going to be the de facto 3C here. Um, you know, two names that you didn't mention, and I know you and Blake talked about it and did a video on it last week about goaltending, but two guys with the strong ties to... Uh, the city of Vancouver, certainly. Martin Jones is floating. He's out there. And Yaro Halak, who been there, done that. I don't think he's coming back to Vancouver. But he's a handful of games, handful of wins away from 300 in his NHL career. And I know that that is a significant milestone to him. Does he get that opportunity yeah. at this stage? Of the game. Well, and I saw that Samsonov uh, got his arbitration yeah. award in Toronto and, and a pretty good one, too. Um, boy, the arbitration guys have done pretty well this year, I think. I think that's one of the reasons why teams are so leery of this process. And we'll see about next year, given some of the awards that have been uh, handed out here. Kershev got a nice ticket there as well. Um, yeah. Uh, forgive me. Where were we? Just talking about free agents and guys that are still in the market, and I do think like oh, I don't I don't know whether the Canucks duck back in on some of these free agents, but I just I think what we're going to see is that players, whether it's Tarasenko, whether it's Matt Dumba, mm-hmm. are probably going to ride this out through the bulk of the summer, just ahead of training camp, see who has the most money to spend on a one year deal, and with the hope that the cap is going up that. You know, they'll take a one-year deal somewhere mm-hmm. and try it again next year with more money in the market. Now, you know, a guy like John Klingberg sat and waited on the market mm. a year ago, and that kind of blew up in his face. And so there is always that danger. But like, can Matt Dumba step in and help hockey clubs? Yeah, yeah of course he can. can. As but for the- maybe not at the freight that he and his camp are looking for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I always think back to the – Thomas Vanek deal with the Canucks. I mean, they got value late in the summer on a one-year deal. Did they ever? And then we're able to peddle him, obviously. And I, I think that that's kind of what we're looking at with these names at the top. I don't think they're getting term. I think they're going to have to find the best yeah. one-year deal available and maybe handpick the best location for them for a season. I, I, I still think the Tarasenko's and the uh, Dumbas of the world could get term. Not not a ton of term, but I, I, I think those are... 
sexy enough players in terms of how they can help your offense that you may very well um, that there may just be there may be teams out there that are willing to go a little bit of term on them. As for the goaltenders, I think Jones and Halak are probably going to have to wait out what if anything happens with Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg and John Gibson in Anaheim. Whether Pat Verbeek is willing to go there. Seems like Gibson has been in the rumor mill for some time now. And of course, Connor Hellebuck is a franchise changing decision for Kevin Chevalier off in the Winnipeg Jets. As for the D'Angelo signing, Jeff, have you taken a look at what this defense score can looks like in Carolina? Pretty pretty I mean, you'd be looking at Orloff, who they signed in free agency, and D'Angelo in the third pair, which knocks our old friend Jalen Chatfield down to the seventh defenseman. But does that mean there's a Brett Pesci deal to be made here? I've heard also Brady Shea, but Pesci, the right side guy, where yeah. they seem to have depth. And, of course, who has depth on the right side of the defense? The Carolina Hurricanes do. Just the idea that they essentially landed the biggest fish in free agency, on defense at the very least, in Orlov. And he slots in on their third oh, pair. When absolutely. You think of what the Canucks have trotted out for a decade now oh, on their third pair. That's an extraordinary looking defense. Brent Burns there as well. So people have wondered because that rumored D'Angelo deal from Philadelphia and it winds up being a buyout and a free agent signing. People have wondered, okay, does somebody shake free from Carolina? Because the one thing the Hurricanes have that the Canucks have lacked over most of the last decade, although I think they showed some restraint this summer, is discipline. They're willing to go to certain numbers on certain players, and if the player and the agent aren't willing to sign for that, they move on. They're not afraid to make big trades there. They're not a tra- not afraid to trade out a player who has been a top four or a top six or has history with the organization, whatever the case may be. They do not get emotionally attached. And when players and agents want to put the screws to them, they don't bend. So they're one of the teams, I think, to to watch here now on the trade market, which, as we've discussed, has been really slow given the, given the marquee names that were out there and being talked about even, you know, as long as... I mean, some of this stuff started in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And yet still, here we are on July 25th and can't sit here and say that we've seen the number of big trades that I think many had expected heading into the summer. Now, going to get you to answer the Bodog poll question after the welcome mat today, which deals with it. But yesterday's Bodog poll, would the Canucks be contenders if they had kept every first and second round draft pick from the start of the betting era. It's eight picks, including the first and second rounder this year acquired in the Bo Horvat trade. We've got 1,800 votes on the poll. Yes or no? What won? I think yes won. Correct. 58%? Right on the number, Jeff oh, Patterson. Okay. You win both showcase showdowns here. <laughs> Always in tune with the people. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say this. There were a lot... It was a very big and open-ended question. That yeah, And as we talked about yesterday, you could interpret it in many ways, many moving parts. Who's doing the drafting? Is it Brackett? Is it Benning? You know, does that mean we don't get this guy? Or the, There were a lot of really smart comments here. Sometimes I have a little shiver go down my spine when I 
go dig in to read comments. This was a comment section that I think was very bright and shows just how astute Canuck Nation is. I'll read some of them. Justice, and good to see him back. If Benning was in charge, no. If someone else, maybe. Crazy Canuck, does this mean they don't make the OEL trade or the Good Branson trade? Not making those two saves the franchise right there. That's keeping Jared McCann, right? Yep. Austin and Langley, if they didn't trade their first-round picks for win-now moves, then yes. So he's isolated the first-round picks there. Uh, sorry, didn't get the name here. We don't talk enough about what they would have been able to do in a flat cap with Beagle, Roussel, and Louis coming off the books clean and not having OEL at his ticket. Well, we certainly did at the time, Jeff. If they had just let those three guys expire, where they would be cap-wise without the, not only the OEL deal, but the Garland extension too, which looms as a mistake. Yeah, and I, I kind of raised the red flag yesterday that this would include maintaining Jake Vertan and Noli Levy. Of course. And the more I look at this past decade, the more I kind of feel like we undersell the importance of those guys falling so flat for this organization. Because for if sure. Jake Vertanen had become anything... If he becomes the top six power they, forward winger they that people certainly thought... certainly chasing Connor Garland. No. And... Maybe you're peddling maybe not Brock, JT Miller either. Well, maybe you're peddling Brock Besser sooner because you've got a guy that's a 20, 25 mm-hmm. goal, you know, big body power forward. And look, you can swing and miss on a top 10 pick once, I think, mm-hmm. but to have two in a three year span, I, I just think that all roads lead back to, yeah. to that. And they're still digging out from, For sure. from that hole. Yerke says, I'm going to stop short of contender because they still suffered from gross mismanagement, but I think they'd already be respectable as of three or four years ago. That could well be the case as well. Scredler, that alone is not enough. They would have also needed to proactively obtain additional picks, more lottery tickets, and also undertake some crafty trades either at the draft to move up or down, taking on bad contracts for picks. Canucks are allergic to high IQ moves, though. And then A. Court says, I'd say no, considering they have Miller and Hronik in lieu of. There are always risks in drafts. Every team has busts. I'd say the biggest bonus the Canucks finally have is a farm system down the road that can actually focus on player development has been missing, key missing here. So, again, there were a, a ton of ways that people took the poll question and in a lot of smart directions. So thank you for the engagement on that. We await word as we record this from the British Columbia Lions on the status of Vernon Adams, their starting quarterback for Saturday's game in Edmonton. Now, if you joined us yesterday, Rick Campbell, the head coach, said, look, we're going to make a call in the next 24 to 48 hours here because the way the BC Lions schedule practice, the backup does not typically get a lot of live reps, and he needs Dane Evans taking all the starters reps if he is going to be the starting quarterback this Saturday. I just got the vibe he's looking at probably keeping Adams at bay this week, seeing if you can win a game against a winless team. He was, I think, very cautious of any kind of bulletin board material or giving anything to the Edmonton club to motivate them this weekend. So I'm not sure he's going to come out and say, yeah, we'll, we'll sit Adams down this week because we don't think we need him against this lot. But that's sort of the vibe I got 
from Coach Campbell that it would be a strategic decision with Dane Evans getting the call after he performed well in relief and giving Adams, I mean, he said one to two weeks. So that's how I sort of interpret it. Could be dead wrong. Could be dead wrong by the time you hear this. But I would would bet Evans on Saturday in Edmonton. Yeah, I'm bracing myself for it to be good news for the BC Lions, as good as news on an injury can be. That was sort of my takeaway, at least one of them from – Rick's appearance on the program yesterday was this isn't season ending. This isn't serious, serious. And I think the prudent play is here to make the call, make it early for a number of reasons. One is let Dane Evans know that it's his week, but also let the rest of the, like don't have uncertainty hovering over this team, like make the decision and the declaration and then move forward with your week of preparation. Mm -hmm. But as you said, in the back of their mind, It's the Edmonton Elks. They are winless. They are winless for years on home turf. Mm -hmm. It is a game that the BC Lions, with their backup quarterback, just handling his business and this defense playing the way that it can, the Lions should be able to get in there. The following week is another trip to Winnipeg. That's a different matter. And so if you're playing the hunches here, go with your backup this week in Edmonton and, and get... Vernon Adams, the treatment that he needs, and hopefully he is ready to go. Already won in Winnipeg once this year. Mm-hmm. And I would, as Coach Campbell also said, you're going to play all these Western teams three times. We're looking at tiebreaker. That would be an enormous yeah. tiebreaker to get this early in the season against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who are, of course, your closest rival here right now atop the West Division. I think you can also argue the lines are just better, even with a backup quarterback at that position, than Edmonton given the paucity of play that they've gotten from that from the quarterback position with multiple guys this year and last. And you talk about that Lions defense, Jeff. We mentioned it yesterday. Let's just quantify it here a little bit more. They rank first in the Canadian Football League in 10 of the 20 <laughs> defensive statistical categories, including points allowed, 15.7. Winnipeg is next at 21. Opponents' offensive points, which I know a lot of defensive coordinators will look at and say, that's the better stat. That takes out the special teams and the interception and fumble return scores. BC giving up less than 14 offensive points per game. Net offense, they give up 260 yards per game. Next best is Winnipeg at 316. I mean, it's 56 fewer yards per game on average than the next best defense. And then yards per play which the statistical guys, the analytics guys will tell you is a very important stat. BC giving up 4.88. Calgary is next at 5.91. So those are not only superb numbers for the Leos, those are astonishing comparisons vis-a-vis the second-best defense in a lot of those categories. Well, I mean, you just look at the individuals, and obviously Matthew Betts up front right now is the guy that's getting so much attention, and what a season he has had. I mean, he's on pace to set CFL records for single-season sacks, so it's a long year. They're a third of the way through, but he's getting so much of the attention, but it's never just one guy, right? Like, you know, if teams want to double-team him, then that's going to create opportunities for others up front. And then you look at the the veteran secondary, and I think when you went into the season— you thought, all right, T.J. Lee seems like he's been here forever. Gary Peters. You know, there are guys that are going to sort of set the tone for this group, and they have, and they've mm-hmm. held up their end of the bargain. And obviously with Betts in that front line, 
putting pressure on. Quarterbacks are forced to make throws they don't want to. And then you've got guys uh, in the yeah. back uh, in the backfield that are you know there to make plays as well. So uh, you know, I, I just look at this Lions roster, uh, the defense, and the things they're doing incredible. The receiving group that we've talked about, uh, you know, Sean White, like it's what a absolute luxury to have in your back pocket too. That you know, if the offense stalls. It's automatic. I mean, he's 14 for 15 on field goals. An incredible amount of faith and confidence, reliability in your field goal kicker. The special teams have been better this year as well. Now, a lot of things pointing in the BC Lions direction. Uh, We'll see about the quarterback later this week. Big soccer week here as well. Uh, Let's start with Canada, which plays its second match down under tomorrow against Ireland. Now, a disappointing draw, it must be said, against Nigeria in the opener. Canada was massive favorites in that game. I know Jesse Fleming didn't play, but that team should be good enough to beat one of the true minnows at this World Cup. It wasn't. I hate to say it, but Burnaby Christine Sinclair, I think, showed her age in that opening match, missed a penalty, missed a glorious opportunity early where she had enough time and space for multiple touches and clear shooting lanes on goal and missed. Bev Priestman has told the media down there that Jesse Fleming has trained fully and she expects her to be available, but it almost sounds like there's some sort of bug going around the team because Kadisha Buchanan illness precautionary they didn't want her training or around the team so her availability as one of the great backs in women's football is a question mark for this match tomorrow against Ireland Priestman saying quote I hope so I hope so I think all signs are leading that way meaning Buchanan plays for sure you pretty much need a win here Jeff you're up against the host Aussies in the third match and Ireland was really competitive against the Matildas, as they're called. They lost 1-0. It was on a penalty. They had multiple opportunities to tie this match. So Ireland probably feels pretty good about themselves, at least their form, if not the result. Whereas Canada, I'm not sure, can feel good about form, result, or availability, perhaps. Yeah. Look, Blake and I broke it down after the, and it felt like a loss. It wasn't a, a draw against Nigeria. Uh, possession's great. You want the ball, but that possession has to translate into scoring chances. And you were always going to possess the ball against that side. Like to me, that was right. So the possession that Canada had translated to three shots on target. One of them was Christine's penalty kick. Like they've got to do more in that final third. And they just didn't. And, you know, it's funny because Leading into the game against Nigeria, TSN had the 90-minute pregame show, and so much of it was about how Canada's not getting the respect and they're oh, going to show the world. Guess what? Maybe the world has them pegged a little bit. Like, yeah. I know they won the Olympics. They didn't score a goal in open play in the knockout stage. of the Olympics. They lived and died on penalties, and they lived in the Olympics, but they got their penalty the other night and couldn't convert. I... So they need some finish, and they need more build-up in open play to create some scoring chances, and I'm curious to see. Um, yeah, I mean, for too long, we've just relied on Christine Sinclair, expected that Christine Sinclair was going to come through. 
Um, but she's 40 now. And, I'm, I'm and, glad you brought that up about the pre-match, uh, pre-tournament show, Jeff, because I watched it as well. And look, I'm no soccer editorial director, but I watched it and went, really, guys? With the year of form that they've been on and your big story is how disrespected they are? I, I thought that was a little much. Frankly, I thought it was akin to, you know, some of the hype about the men's team going in. It's like, okay, hold on a second here. This is our second World Cup ever. You know, yeah, we've got a couple world-class players, but we also have a lot of players who are out there on the pitch who are playing several leagues down the top tiers. So, we can puff out our chests and feel like, yeah, it's our time. But the reality is you probably needed a World Cup lesson on the men's side. The women, of course, do have the capacity to win. I mean, Canada was never winning on the men's side. Getting through the knockout stage would have been a victory. But the women playing for a trophy, making the semifinals, is conceivable. I just haven't liked the vibe around this team, Jeff. And frankly, you know, when the mind isn't right, sometimes the body... Fails, and I just don't think the attitude and headspace of these players, who are, of course, in this financial and political fight with Canada Soccer, is where it needs to be. They've said they've set it aside, but I think they've got to prove that tomorrow morning against the Irish. Meanwhile, did you see what happened to Club Leon? No. They got stuck at YVR yesterday. Apparently, the flight arranged for them from MLS and League's Cup was a no-go. There were pictures of players strewn about the gate, getting their naps in. Was their delay longer YVR. than the, the shootout at BC Yeah, Place? exactly. So you play the long shootout, then you have the long flight delay. One of the players took to social media to complain. It was apparently a logistics error with an associated airline organized by MLS and League's Cup. Here's the thing. League's Cup has said our bad. They've postponed the game from tonight to tomorrow in Los Angeles between Club Leon and the Galaxy, which means the Galaxy will have one less day's rest to face Vancouver on Saturday. So that's turning up for Vanny Sertini and his side. And, of course, they lose the opener after 19 rounds of penalties. Can barely believe we're articulating that. And which means they got to get this one on Saturday against an LA Galaxy team that they have handled in MLS play. But as Blake will tell you, Galaxy were on a fair bit of run before losing that match to Vancouver. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by De Dutch, De Breakfast, De Brunch, De Lunch. Get it all at De Dutch. Patrick Johnson will stop by. He's on vacation back east, but we talked to Patrick about the Vancouver Canucks and Cup contention, as well as the departure of Assistant General Manager Derek Clancy last week. He wrote on that. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including more background on the infamous Flames Canucks brawl with Tortorella and Hartley on the benches. And then Garrett Spain, they call him the Spaniard at Nat Bailey Stadium. His second year here as a Vancouver Canadian. He's an outfielder by trade, but ask him what he really likes to do? Play hockey. And this from a kid who grew up in suburban Nashville, Tennessee. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. 
you can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and very excited to announce the release of Yellow Dog's very first mix pack, Box of Tricks. Choose between the classic Play Dead IPA, the award-winning Rough West Coast IPA, and two brand new beers, Growl Extra Pale Ale and Tug of War New Zealand IPA, hitting the shelves on Tuesday, November 7th. And at the end of a busy workday, treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. We are talking the Canucks and Stanley Cup contention this week, and the big picture in involves improving personnel. The good news is that the Canucks already have the biggest and most difficult pieces to get in first-line center, Leas Patterson, number one defenseman, Quinn Hughes, and starting goaltender, Thatcher Demko. They also have a utility forward, JT Miller, and a top-four right-shot defenseman in Philip Ronick. What's missing? For my money, to answer the Bodog poll question, the Canucks are four players away from contending, and I'm going to go through them, not in order of importance, but working back from forward to defense. For me, second-line center is a missing position here. And I know many of you are yelling now, Wade, what about JT Miller? True, he has played a competitive second-line center, but for me, he serves this club best as a winger, who can fill in and be your center if you lose Patterson to injury or if you lose your second line center. Playing him on the wing allows him to get in on that forecheck more readily, and he's very good as a forechecker, and that masks some of his defensive deficiencies. He doesn't have to play the full 200-foot game. Second piece that's missing for me, again, working backwards from forward to defense, third line center. It would take mighty improvement for Nils Amon or Dakota Joshua, who some people think can play the middle, to lock down this world. Free agent Teddy Bluger, he ain't it. Now, they have two prospects that could figure here. Atu Ratu or Max Sasson, the college free agent signed last year. I think it's clear that both of these guys are going to need time. We'll see. You're hoping they turn into third-line centers, but I don't think you have a good book on that just yet. Number three, and this one might be the most important, a defense partner for Quinn Hughes. Now, free agents Carson Soucy and Cole might moonlight here as the right side top pair defenseman. Soucy even has an outside chance of being that permanent partner for Hughes, but he's better cast down the lineup. Ideally, the Canucks need a big, heavy defensive defenseman with more puck skills than Soucy. 2023 first-round pick Tom Willander isn't all of these things, but he's most of these things and the likely candidate to be that partner for Hughes a couple years down the road. And lastly, fourth spot, a top four left side defenseman to play with Roenick. 
And the ideal skill set is somewhat similar to the righty they need for use. A sizable, minute-munching penalty killer who will allow Ronick to explore offense, protect leads, play in end-of-game situations. Not sure this player is currently in the organization. Again, unless Susie steps up, it is, is it? Or maybe one of the young defensemen. Elias Patterson D, EPD, maybe Akito Hirose. Maybe they blossom. That's welcome, Matt, for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channel says follows on email. Live at SecarisonPrice.com. You can text 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox. On Twitter, at Matt Sikaris, at Sikarison Price. And the welcome out of presentation of Northlands Golf Course, Metro Vancouver's premier public golf course. You can book your tee times 90 days in advance. Join the loyalty program. Price your next round. Could be free. Details. Golfnorthlands.com. Your turn, Jeff Patterson. Answer me the poll question. What are the positions? How many pieces away are they from cup contention? Yeah, it's funny because when you went down this road, four was the number in my head as well. So we're in lockstep in that regard. And I think it's important that, as you laid out, you know, a lot of people would scream third line center, but I think you got to look higher on the depth chart if we're talking about this being a legitimate, legitimate. Look Stanley who wins Cup cups and just Andrew. how deep they are, right? Like that is, you know, Tampa and Colorado and Vegas this year. Boy, they're just fleets of players coming at you. Fourth line centers that would be third line centers elsewhere. Third line centers that would be second line centers elsewhere. Right. So, you know, JT Miller has value and utility. But he is probably better served as a winger. As it turns out, he's going to start this year as the 2C. Uh, we'll see how that works out for him and the hockey club. And then there's always a trickle down. If he's your second line center, you know, how does that affect a guy like Brock Besser, who wants to be a 30 goal scorer? But I'm not sure that JT Miller is the guy that's going to get him the puck enough to really be the goal scorer that so many people think that Brock Besser can still be at this stage of his career. So I would say second-line center, and then by extension, third-line center as well. Uh, I look at Teddy Bluger as uh, a fourth, a, a guy that really does what fourth-line centers do. And, and there's a place yeah. for Teddy Bluger on this hockey club. Again, and and if he has the- to fill in as a third-line center because of injury, so be it. But... But the idea of him starting as a third-line center and yep. if there are injuries of any length for Patterson or Miller, uh, yeah, they just don't have the, the candidates within. So, Do you feel good about the winger group? Do you think they have championship-level wingers? I, I don't know that. and mm-hmm. I, I, But do I feel good about them? Like, Do they have a Jonathan Marchessault that's just going to show up night in, night out when the chips are down? That's got to be a Besser or a Garland, right? That's their equivalence. You know, yeah. I'm, now, I'm not sure they have the big power forward. Of course, I'm not sure you necessarily need that. Do they have a Keegan Colasar, a Nick Waugh, you know, a William Carey? Well, types? while you're talking about down center ice, yeah. which we've talked about. Yeah. You know, to they go to they have the goal scorer in Kuzmenko. I think you could argue But I'm that. talking physical forwards who know how to turn it on right. when push comes to shove. And, Fair. and offer, That can also play. Yep. Fair. And, and no, the bottom six has not been good enough for far too long now. Mm-hmm. So it's funny because last week, and I don't know. Maybe what, that's Vasily in time, uh, Grady, but I he's got to make it, yeah. a big step yeah. this year. But last week, and I'm not even sure where the impetus came from, but I wrote at the Hockey News, could the Canucks have six 20-goal scores on their roster next year. And if you think Pedersen, Miller, and Kuzmenko are Natchez right there, there's three. And then you've got Besser, Garland. You've got Mikheyev, who was a 20-goal scorer in Toronto. You've got Tanner Pearson, if he's healthy. 
Uh, you've got Pud Goals and you got Hoagland. Like I think Beauvillier got yeah, eighteen Beauvillier, last right, year. And Beauvillier's been a twenty goal scorer as well. So are there enough candidates for them to have six? Sure. And then somebody pointed out the Vegas Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup with three. Three twenty goal scores on their roster. Some the of that was season. injury though, right? Fair enough. <laughs> but the point is this team scores enough. The Canucks score enough. Offense isn't the issue, but it's do they play the right way? Do they play playoff-style hockey? And Rick Tockett, that's what he wants to instill in this group is this this toughness, this, you know, the board battles and, and winning wall work and all those types of things. And Vegas showed, like, you don't need to score seven goals a night. You just need to score one more than your opponent to get the wins you need to finish high enough in the standings, the home ice advantage, all those types of things. So uh, I, I still say it's four players and we're not just talking about inserting four players. We're talking about four good pieces. and Well, profiles, too, yeah. right? Like, they so, have to fit a certain profile. So to get from here to there and adding these four pieces mm. that we're talking about, like, that's some heavy yeah. lifting still. Uh, you know, defensively, I, I think they need at least one more top four defenseman. I, and then Susie pan, pan, panning out as... Someone right. who can play top four minutes, or you get a young kid who comes rises up. Yeah, that's and in a, a perfect here. world, Carson Soucy is bumped down to his comfort zone, which was excelling as a third pair guy in both Minnesota and Seattle. And you don't mind paying a guy three and a half. You're not paying him the six million that Tyler Myers is getting mm-hmm. as a third. You know, he's essentially become a third pair defenseman for the Canucks. Now, you know, Vegas also went five deep in goal. Uh, <laughs> the Canucks have they've got an elite level goaltender. So, you know, is this the Jeff Patterson 10 to 12 wins? No, I like I'm fully comfortable and 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 believe in Thatcher Demko as long as he stays healthy. You know, he can provide them the kind of goaltending that they need, I think, to rise through the ranks. So, you know, there are questions about the backup goaltending. Sure. But I don't know that that's an area. If I'm talking four players, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that one of my four pieces is devoted to the back. They're yeah. going to have a backup goaltender. It's just a question of can he hold his own when he gets the opportunities. Some more context about that Vegas stat. It was 320 goal scorers, but it was eight forwards with 13 or more goals. Guys like Mark Stone fell short because they only played 43 games. Yep. It was also an 11 goal season from Petrangelo, and it would have been a double goal. Double-digit goal season from Shea Theodore as well, had he been healthy. So, you know, they had goals throughout the lineup that, as but you But they know, also, the way that they played, they were so good and so stout defensively that if they you They didn't limit, need the goals. Right. You limit your opponents mm-hmm. to two a night, take your chances that you're going to get three and three. win. And more often than not, they were getting three. They certainly had enough depth. Yeah, and too many nights for the last two years, the Canucks have given up three on the power play most <laughs> nights, and and then you're left scrambling to try to score four yeah. and five. And so that's the other thing: the Canucks really ought to kill a penalty here and there if they're going to be contenders. Well, and look to their credit, what limited funds they had to spend, they did look like they addressed. You know, the proof will be in the pudding ultimately when games start. But Susie and Cole. And I know Hronik wasn't a free agent, but he, I sort of, you know, he's one of the new guys. And then Teddy Blucher up front, like their penalty kill ought to be better, right? But it's easy to say that in mid-July, they've got to go out there and prove it. Secure some price from Wall Center. 
and a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Kia Surrey, Applewood Kia Langley. We can get you into the 2023 Nero Electric Vehicle starting at $44,995, 6.49%, and zero down. As they say, it's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today. We're asking you how many pieces, how many players away are the Vancouver Canucks from Stanley Cup contention? You can vote two, you can vote three, you can vote four, you can vote other, and if you do, please specify how many. In reply, Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day for me. Future over-under goal totals are out. Alex Ovechkin, it's set at 41.5. You know, he's been so durable. Turns 38 on the eve of the season. And the Caps could struggle this year. I think there's too much going against them. I'm taking the under on your Bodog line of the day. Joined now as we are on Tuesdays from the province and post media, Mr. Patrick Johnson. We find him in the nation's capital where he's planning a coup. How are you? <laughs> wow. Matt, I didn't know we were going to talk about that today. <laughs> well, you never talk about coups until you execute no, coups. No, that's true. That's no, what takes you out east? What, uh, you why, want to, you want to talk about coups? Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> well, why would you leave Brit- uh, beautiful British Columbia in late July, Patrick? That's the best time of year out here. I heard it's raining, Matt. So why, why yeah, would I want to know? Um, yeah, it is. Just family vacation. Have a nice time. Okay. Dump the kids at the uh, the in laws' cottage, and now I'm up in Ottawa visiting an old old friend and uh, enjoying the. It's very nice. The weather's very nice here, Matt. You'd love it here. You'd be very happy here on this day. Yeah, stifling humidity, as I recall. <laughs> um, hey, uh, just before we get into the Canucks and Cup contention, our theme of the week, our, our Bodog poll question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw you wrote on Derek Clancy last week, leaving oh, the yeah. Canucks for a lateral position to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Was it just a money thing, Patrick, or, or were you able to um, were you able to suss out whether there was something else at play uh, with Derek Clancy, well, who who seemed like a very trusted right hand? You know, the first yeah. hire of Jim Rutherford and the guy who actually yeah. had experience in his role, uh, which yeah. cannot be yeah. said about a lot of the other Canucks execs. Yeah, certainly in the early stages, a very important hire for Jim Rutherford, who had, you know, essentially inherited a nearly bare front office. He had Stan Smeal and Ryan Johnson essentially after um, you know Jim Benning and John Weisbrough were let go, and then ownership decided to get rid of Chris Gear and Jonathan Wall. Um, there, there just was not a whole lot. I mean, not a, first of all institutional knowledge, and then there was just not a lot of people there at all with any kind of you know they had the analytics team. Um, but but that sort of trusted high end, uh, you know, uh, staffing they just didn't have it. So Clancy was really important. Um, you know, it was interesting going back and looking at uh, the you know sort of the the way we covered the hiring. What Rutherford told us at that time, and, you know, he was literally like, "I need someone to tell me about hockey players," basically. And Clancy had been with the, the Penguins when he was there. Left essentially after, as far as I could tell, after Rutherford decided to go that Brett Clancy didn't want to stick around um, had had found a landing spot in Calgary with Bradshaw Livings who has now hired him in Toronto of course uh, but yeah in, a, a trusted voice a guy that clearly was very involved in, in some scouting aspects um, you know we saw him in the recent Canucks behind the scenes draft video as essentially being the guy that really said 
yeah, you know, Willander, I'm not sure he'll be there at 13, which, you know, I think if you parse it, you're not sure that was actually true, but certainly put his foot down and said, this is where we should draft. <clears throat> this, if we really want this guy, like, we, we don't want to risk it. There were a lot of people. I mean, we've, we've talked about this a lot. There's a lot of cooks in that kitchen. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but it, it did feel at, at times, especially once they really did fill out their roster of AGMs a year, you know, just over a year ago, you know, Cami Granado was described as being in charge of scouting. And we'd been told that Derek Clancy was in charge of scouting. So, you know, there, there clearly was overlap there in terms of responsibility. Um, so what are you being asked to do? What are you being tasked? I mean, Toronto has already got a full stable of people in front office. I mean, Lawrence Gilman is now just runs the Marlies and is not in, in the NHL. Uh, front office, but there are already a couple AGMs there. Um, you know, so what what role is he going to fill? Is he simply just a very very well paid super scout? I mean, that is possible. Um, money, I'm sure, is involved. I mean, that was part of the reason I think Manny Malhotra went to Toronto was that there was just a great offer on the table to join a team that was trying to go places, going into a season that was going to be difficult for everyone. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 I think it's probably, it, it feels like to me there was a number of things at play. Um, it was interesting to me that, you know, when they made the announcement, essentially that he was going up, jumping the gun a little bit on the Leafs. Um, when I went back to the Canucks and said, listen, can, you know, this is Jim's first hire. Is there, can we perhaps add a little more here? Could I talk, you know, that, that Rutherford actually offered up a bit of his comment on it. Um, I thought that was interesting that, that, you know, that they did recognize the, <laughs> we all saw this as significant um, and then saying, no, no, we'll be fine. We're going to be, you know, and, hey, credit. Maybe it's just in the end credit to the people that they have in place. That Cameron Granado, who hadn't done a lot of hockey management when she'd hired, she'd worked as a pro scout, but um, certainly to me speaks to to the importance they place on her role in, in scouting. Um, and, you know, what in the end, you know, you, you try out a, a certain setup and, uh, you know, I suppose we could say they're simply moving on and saying, you know, we, we have enough here and we, we don't need to do new replacements. And Patrick, speaking of draft picks and certainly on the amateur side of things, we were talking yesterday, we're theming our week here on on cup contention, what it will take for the Canucks to be a cup contender and could they already have been a cup contender? It was nine or eight different draft picks first or second rounders that went out the door between 2015 and this past draft where, of course, two of them are first and a second went out the door for Philip Ronick. If they keep the entirety of that lot and pick guys and develop them, what do you think? How much closer are they to being a cup contender at this stage of the game? Uh, massively closer. I mean, that was one of the conclusions I drew from that five draft review series that I did going into the recent draft, just looking at the types of players. You know, one of the questions we asked was not just who did you get, who did they get with the picks, but who else were options? Um, And, and, you know, we look at the evolution of the draft and how much better teams are. Everybody is, Uh, you, you know, you look back 20 years ago, there were plenty of guys that you could find in the later rounds, you know, with the, that, that, proved to be much better than they were drafted at. Now it's very much about first and second round picks are the driving players on your team and the rest are you know, unique players and you, you will find serviceable NHLers, but you're not finding any stars. And, you know, you look at, 
I mean, obviously everyone likes to talk about Dylan Gunther as such a recent example, but, but you look at, say, Rasmus Anderson. You know, Sven Ritchie was a very useful player for the Canucks for a couple of years, but in the long run, it is hard to argue against having a guy like Rasmus Anderson in the lineup. And those are the kinds of players. I mean, even the recent run, you know, you look at Niels Hoaglander. Like, there's a guy that's a handy, you know, potentially still. I mean, obviously still has to work out, but but has shown enough that I think he will be a handy NHLer. Um, and even, you know, as a, a sort of a minimum standard player, like that is the minimum type player that you're going to find in the second round. And going back over the past decade, the Canucks simply have not, or since 2010 even, the Canucks simply have not drafted enough in the second round, no matter the regime, um, to really build that sort of sustainable mid-tier player, the, the kind of player that you see, for instance, in Tampa. And this, is, again, goes back to the story that it's not just about drafting anymore, it's about developing. Um and, and the kind of mid-tier player that Tampa has been so good at, at building into being useful players, players that in the end help drive uh, your sort of competitive, your, the consistency of your competitiveness at all times. And I think there's just absolutely no argument that uh, otherwise that the Canucks had, you know, have been foolish in the number of second round picks certainly they've given away. And, and it would be a very different story today if, if they had kept more of those. Pat, uh, the Canucks have gone pretty quiet, as have most teams now. We're through that first yeah. wave of NHL free agency. There's still some names out there. I think a lot of people, though, forget that the Canucks are still $4 million bucks above the salary cap yeah. limit. Now, they can be there and exist there in the summer months, but do you think long-term injury is their way out of this, or are we going to get back to a point where the volume will be raised about trading Garland and Besser or you know whoever to be cap-compliant? Well, certainly that was, I think, what raised our eyebrows when we talked to Patrick Alvin after the first day of free agency there about his statements about Tanner Pearson's status. Now, whether that was simply positioning, right. you know, in terms of you can't just, oh, yeah, I know we expect he won't be. I mean, you, I, I guess you have to say he won't be available. That's what was also so telling when he spoke about Tucker Pullman, which I don't think surprised us. Um, yeah, you look at those two guys who combine for five plus million dollars in cap hit. And uh, if those two are unable to play, you know, they're still, they're actually, quote unquote, under the cap. I mean, technically, let's remember that LTI doesn't mean you're actually under the cap. You just have cap space. Um, (laughs) Not just semantics. I mean, it really is how the math works. Uh, That is, I think, in the back pocket. You, You still wonder about whether they have some dream of flipping, you know, another guy or two. Uh, when push comes to shove, are they sitting there hoping that you know you go into training camp probably with more guys than you uh, plan to have to start the season? You're going to have to make some move. You need to see what happens in terms of injuries, whether that's on your own roster or that's another team. Um, I, I do feel like that is also kind of I, I feel that's where more where they're at. I mean, obviously they have the LTIR question in the back of their minds, um, and, but I, I think it really is one of those ones. There are always going to be changes to people's plans over the course of preseason. And, uh, you know, I think the Canucks are sort of saying, okay, well, at least at that point, we'll make a Riley Stillman type trade, you know, that kind of move. Um, There are always moves to be made. I don't know if that's the most optimal way about going about things, but certainly uh, they they have to make a choice. I mean, this is something we've talked about, I feel like, every week. They're going to, as it stands, they're going to have to make some decisions. The first one was buying out OEL, but they, they still have to make some other decisions because of the end of the day that you know that they are going to be over the cap as you said 
as we look back, and it's been a month since the OEL buyout, like, did you think that the OEL buyout was the first of a multi-step plan? Like, are you a little surprised that there weren't other dominoes yes. that fell there? Good question. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were. I mean, I, there were some dominoes. They got some new players. You know, they they used the money that was going to go to OEL and signed, you know, a trio. However, you want to count several players. Um, in the back of my mind, I still wonder if there's a trade. I mean, we've talked so much about it. They, I think we, we know they were trying to make stuff happen at the deadline. Um, there obviously were some talks. They were not cap talks, cap tra- type trade talks at the draft. We know that they certainly were in consideration. I think it was Buffalo and it was a Cam Robinson said, uh, was it Arizona as well? Nashville. No, not Arizona. Nashville. Nashville. Thank you. Nashville. Thank you. Um, I believe there was actually another one out there, but anyway, they they were pretty steadfast that that was the pick they're going to make, and I, I I think they made lots of calls. I think they took lots of calls, but um, as it stands, yeah, I mean they they turned over a large portion of the roster. I think they've been wanting, you know, they've wanted to move. I've said this so many times. I'm sure people are tired of hearing about it. They Tyler Myers was a guy they recognized very early on with this new regime was a guy that they would prefer to have on another team um and you know he had it but he had a difficult year and and that's a difficult one to move at least right now i mean maybe when his his bonus is paid out in september as i think we think it is um maybe that changes the dynamic uh, uh yeah i you know i mean it, I, i'm still in that kind of wait and see because i mean i i I think I mentioned this last week, and Jeff, it was your point. The fact that sort of the draft, the reviews after the free agency there from everybody was sort of nonplussed about what the Canucks did, neither negative nor positive, uh, in a very competitive competitive division. And this goes back to how long will they be a contender? I mean, you know, I mean, JT Miller, I think I like JT Miller as a player. I don't think he is a guy that really pushes the meter to, in a two-way sense, um, you know, obviously Certainly not a Patrice Bergeron type player, but that you know a, a powerful two way second line center, you know, is is what this team needs, and um, that's I just don't. That's just not JT Miller. Yeah. He's got a very handy set of offensive tools, but it, just as a defensive player, you know, we've seen it. It's been it was exposed more than once on on uh, this season, and. Um, you know, I think that continues to be the, the, the sort of roster building that is required here continues uh, to be something I think we all stare at. And yeah, it goes back to exactly what you said. If you're going to move on from OEL, what are you replacing him with? Well, they've replaced him with players that are probably more competent and more stable. But certainly not, nothing closer to sort of that star power that you're going to really going to need if you're going to be a contender. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, echoing the welcome, Matt, that, you know, and I'll ask you the Bodog poll question here in a second about how many pieces away. They are from cup contention, but JT Miller as a winger and as your emergency top six center, I think is a better place for him yeah. to be for a lot of a lot of reasons. And, and I love the question Jeff asked you on, on on two fronts because if you were going to go to the extreme of Oliver Ekman Larson buyout, and it is one of the biggest buyouts in the history of the National Hockey League, you turned around and immediately spent it on three role players and unless Carson Soucy has a great year two and great year three, you haven't really bought any future contribution to the hockey team um, with that buyout, which could be a little bit concerning. I mean, it, 
it, it, it smacks of the sort of moves that the previous regime did. You know, money burning a hole, cap space burning a hole in my pocket. Go out, try and fill yeah. some immediate needs with, with shorter term yeah. options. Which, you know, and this is their marching orders are to make the playoffs. So I can understand why Rutherford and Alvin would operate that way, because at the end of the right. day, we all have bosses. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I do wonder whether it was sort of a near a nearer sighted way of spending that cap space. I mean, the reality is this is and this is not necessarily justification, but the reality is that this is how most GMs understand what they're after. They're after the here and now. Um, and so it's about the bets that you make right now. And I, I would say that that is a difference here compared to the betting era. The, the bets on a guy like Sosi, especially, is that it's just a better bet than betting on Jay Beagle. Or, you know, Antoine Roussel, I thought, was an interesting bet. But in the end, that was going to take a lot for that one to work out. Uh, Louis Erickson was coming off of essentially a career, a career, you know, so I think second best shooting percentage of his career, aging into his 30s. You know, there was... It was a long contract that was going to be, even when he signed, it was going to be difficult. But even in the short term, you know, was this really a game breaker? You know, they've at least avoided that kind of deal. Um, Sosie, I think, is interesting. Cole, you know, obviously is in his 30s, but there's not a huge commitment there. It's a player that, you know, you are asking to say, listen, you've been pretty handy, pretty useful. Um, obviously, in the back of their minds, they remember how well he played in their Stanley cup years. And he is now in his thirties and he was in his sort of mid to late twenties then. Um, and then that does make a difference, especially for a defenseman. So that to me, that is the difference. But in the end, like you said, these are role players and the role players help you sort of main tread water, but it's the star players that really matter and go back to every single team that was in the final four last year. And that those are teams that are filled with star power and the Canucks have some star power. I'm just not convinced they haven't. Yeah. Uh, okay. Bodog poll question time. How many pieces are they away from cup contention? Two, three, four, or go off the board? I, I think it's. I think it's two. I really do. I think it's. You know, like I said, it's that center. It's that second line center. That that guy that's you know, not necessarily as good as Leas Pedersen, but a guy that is. You know, Ryan. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly is an outstanding player, but you know he's. He has been a first-line center, but at this stage in his career, he's more of a second or a third. But that kind of depth center who who helps push um, push the meter when he's on the ice, they definitely need that. And, you know, clearly, like, I mean, obviously they're betting on Philip Ronick to be that 2-1A you know, kind of guy. Um, I'm more of the thing, he's a number three, number four on a truly great team. Um, so it's finding another guy to really anchor um, anchor a second unit, second pairing, a guy that, is a sort of masterful two-way player. Um, you, you know, you look at, say, look at the Boston Bruins, right? They picked up Hampus Lindholm in a, you know, you know, people knew he was still a good player, but, you know, rejuvenated himself in a, in a lineup that was full of things and was a, you know, guy in consideration for the Norris um, because of the way uh, he was set up. And finding a guy like that, um, who is a two-way force to me is just the other thing this team really needs, and yeah. we'll see. I mean, maybe Ronick is that guy, but I'm not. I'm not sure he has given just the skill sets yeah. we know he has from from, from Detroit. Uh, marvelous stuff. You were uh, free to have a Ottawa afternoon and evening. Uh, <laughs> I, I hey, go find yourself a bar tomorrow downtown for the um, women's match. 
at the FIFA yeah, World Cup because yeah. uh, there, yeah. there's a lot of people who bleed red and white in that town. So it'll be a good time. Yep. Yeah, man. Thanks, Patrick. All right, boys. Enjoy your holiday. We'll talk okay, to you next Tuesday. Do. Catch you later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bye bye. Some price from Wall Center and a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags are the best and worst of Twitter. Brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason.Mortgage. And when you contact Jason Hominick, you actually speak to Jason. There's no middlemen or staffers taking your calls, responding to your emails. It's Jason himself with the best advice on mortgages. Get that personal touch from an expert that works for you and not the bank. Find him at Jason.Mortgage. Did you see this story of PGA Tour Canada over the weekend, the tournament in Ottawa? The cheater? The cheater who came clean, uh, Eagle Creek Golf Course. I've played it a number of times, Jeff. It's designed by the late, great Ken Venturi. Uh, but an astonishing admission. Yeah, so for the people that didn't get the backstory quickly, this guy, Justin Doden, uh, he turned in his card and... His playing partner signed it, and then he somehow got the card back, which is against form, at which point he got the eraser out and changed a 7 to a 5 and then handed it in, claiming he had made par on one of the par 5s. And the playing partner later was checking his phone and looking at the leaderboard and was like, wait a sec, this guy's That's like not right. higher than, mm-hmm. yeah, I played with him. He didn't, anyways, he went back to the scorer and said, like, I think I got an issue here. Oh, so he got caught. I, I thought for yeah. a second that he came clean, like his conscience got to him. No, not over the weekend. Oh, wow. Finally, it did yesterday when Justin Doden tweeted out, I'm here to confess to the biggest mistake I have made in my life to date. I cheated in golf. This is not who I am. I let my sponsors down. I let my competitors down. I let my family down. I let myself down. I pray for your forgiveness. Ooh. So, be interesting to see. I haven't seen a penalty yet, but he's going to pay a price just oh, in the court sure. of public sure. opinion oh, sure. and with his fellow competitors. Oh, no uh, no question. It is a sport of honor, right? It is more noble to call a penalty on yourself than to... Yeah. And apparently, the officials went back, they pulled his scorecard, and sure enough, you could see the erase marks. Oh. And so. I, I've often wondered at these qualifiers, Jeff, at these satellites where there isn't hold-to-hole scrutiny and cameras... How often that might happen. At Offside DH, quote, I just pulled everybody together and said, fuck it, let's just fight them. This is ex-Calgary Flame tough guy Brian McGratton speaking to our old friend Shane O'Brien on the Spittin' Chicklets podcast about the infamous Canucks Flames brawl with John Tortorella and Bob Hartley on the benches. Now, here's the story as McGratton tells it. Calgary had lost 13 of 16 going into that night. Hartley's ticked at everybody on the roster. He calls McGratton, Kevin Westgarth, who was a heavyweight in his own right, Blair Jones, Ladislav Smead, Chris Butler, into the room and says, listen, nobody else in that room deserves to start the game tonight. You guys had a good game. You have not started a game all season. I'm going to start you tonight in Vancouver. And he left it at that, McGratton said. We left the room. I pulled everybody together and said, fuck it. Let's just fight them. Like, who cares if we lose another game? We're not making the playoffs. Let's just fight them. We hate these guys probably more than any other team in the league. And if they dress their fourth line, 
let's fight him. He said, Torts got all fucking out of whack on if he would have dressed the Sedins. Those guys are in the Hall of Fame. I never fought or jumped a player like that. If they would have started that line legit, I would have dumped the puck in and waited till the next shift to fight. The plan was to fight the fourth line, not the Sedins. You'll remember, Jeff, the very famous, I can't put Danny and Hank out there. That's why Kellen Lane has to start the game, because those guys are, are, are out for blood. Well, and the equally famous Tom Sestito quote about they're starting their idiots, so Torch decided he would start his, his idiots. <laughs> McGratton, they dressed the fourth line, and I was like, game on, baby. <laughs> so, we know it was Kellen Lane. You mentioned Tom Sestito. Dale Weiss. Famously, Kevin Bieksa took the yeah. face off for Lane. Dale Weiss, very good. And Who Jason Garrison. Very good, Jeff. Can't fool this guy on Canucks trivia. And T-Mart in the hallways. T-Mart in the hallways witnessing Tortorella storming the Bastille that was the Flames room. Where was the GoPro, T-Mart? Come on. Yeah, back then it wasn't, yeah. We weren't weren't quite getting everything on video like we are today. We're close. We're on the verge of everything videoed. And the, the sort of byproduct of all those guys that got ejected after that first shift was that Dan Hamhuis ended up playing 38 minutes and 50 seconds or something that night because they were already down a couple of defensemen from the drop of the puck. A night unlike any other at Rogers Arena. And frankly, that's about as good an explanation as I've heard as to what's happened. Hats off to McGratton for coming. Well, and of course, remember, too, the Canucks had come off that California road trip where they lost 1-0 in Los Angeles, got waxed 9-1 to in Anaheim, right. and their response to the 9-1 loss in Anaheim was another one nothing loss in Phoenix, and then they came home. So the Flames weren't exactly in a great mood, neither yeah. were the Canucks. Mount Tortorella was on the verge. <laughs> there was steam coming up from Mount Tortorella heading into that one. Plus, he just didn't like Bob Hartley, and uh, what was he going to do if he wasn't restrained? He's going to get him. Yep. Uh, I got this game yesterday. We didn't get to it, but I, I wanted to throw it out there. Uh, at OHL Rangers, these are the Kitchener Rangers of the Ontario Hockey League. UC Ahokas has been named the 25th head coach of the OHL Rangers. And why is this news? UC Ahokas, as you might have, he's a Finn. Yeah. And a decorated, fit, one of the best up and coming Finnish coaches, but well, we haven't seen that. We've, no. You know, we've always talked about the sort of. When's an NHL team going to give a mm-hmm. European coach an opportunity? Well, this may be the path to the National Hockey League to come from Finland and take a job in major junior yeah. hockey. But he won a he won a World Junior Gold in 2019, World Under 18 Gold in 2016. Uh, this guy's been at it for a while, so it'd be interesting to see uh, how UC Ahokas does as the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers. Ivan Holinka, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Alpo Suonen right. with the Chicago Blackhawks. And then what's the name of the Swiss guy coached Edmonton in Buffalo? Uh, Kruger, Ralph Kruger. Ralph Kruger. Are they the only three I think European so. head coaches I think so. in NHL history? Hmm. And, of course, uh, the first Swedish GM here yep. and the first Finnish GM in Columbus in Kekalainen. Okay, I was a little confused with this. But thanks to Rob Williams, because you know this is Rob Williams' beat. We may talk about it Thursday with him. The Canucks tweeted earlier in the week 
be the voice of the national anthem at every Canucks home game. Interested applicants can submit a video of themselves singing the Canadian American anthems by July 31st. And I went, huh, that's interesting. They're going to a single anthem singer because, you know, we heard Juggy and Marie and many over the course of these last few years. And we all remember the last full-time anthem singer. Oh, of course. Didn't end so well when he performed at the anti-mask rally. No, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. Um, and fell flat on his face uh, in Penticton. Th- th- there was that too. <laughs> Although he was a very good sport about that. Um, at Rob the Hockey Guy quote tweets, can confirm that the plan is for multiple singers to perform the anthem at Canucks games, as opposed to one person being picked to perform every game. You know, I'm of two minds of this, Jeff, as a community person. I love the fact that there's a stage there for young up-and-coming talent to be able to you know, sing in front of a big audience and get some of that shine and limelight. And yet, as a hockey fan or journalist, I mean, there's nothing like going to Chicago and having Jim Cornelson do the anthem, right? right? Knowing that that is part of the show, that it's just about perfect and that you'll have a moment there that gives you the goosebumps. Where are you on that? You're just about short anthems. I'm gonna get I was going to say, if I'm one of the judges, and I'm not, but it, it, I'd have a stopwatch, and the fastest competitor would be my first choice. Uh, I think the Canucks have, uh, like, Juggy's my guy. I just think he does I like, an I think incredible job, but so does Marie Huey. And, yep. and it's funny, because I think her name is Elizabeth Irving, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Elizabeth as She well. started as, like, sort of the novelty kid got a chance to sing the anthem. She's developed into one yes. of their go-tos, and she does a terrific job as well. So, um yeah, I mean, I am about let's get to the face-off and, and get things yeah. going, but it is part of the ceremony. It's a different argument of whether there should be anthems. Mm-hmm. There are and there will be for the foreseeable future. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, great opportunity. It's not for everybody, obviously. You sang at the Canadians game, not the anthem, but <laughs> you know, to step out there and put yourself out there in front of 18,000 people, like the spotlight's on you, it's... I, I, I was so nervous, I almost had to take a moment and just, I, I kind of likened it to writing on deadline. Like, I am I can be, you know, high strung and I can be a little bit, you know, panicky in those spots. But when I was writing on deadline, I, like a calm would come over me because it had to, Laser basically. Focus. Yeah, and that was the same thing when I had to sing OK Blue Jays. Uh, good luck to all the applicants here. And that's hashtags for today. Next guest is a minor hockey player from Nashville whose name is Spain and now plays outfield for the Vancouver Canadians. It's quite a story here. And we're delighted to welcome Vancouver Canadians outfielder Garrett Spain here to secure some price. Garrett, thanks for the time. Thank you for having me. Jeff and I have covered hockey for decades, and you might be the first minor hockey player from Nashville we have talked to. Tell us about your journey in sports, because as I'm not mistaken, it it begins on an ice rink just outside of Nashville. Yes. Uh, uh, when I was four, five years old, um, saw hockey on the TV, saw the Preds playing. Uh, that's where I got my favorite player from. I got I grew interest from it. Uh, later that week, they took us up there, uh, skated, and 
uh, there's only one sheet of ice at the time in Nashville. The owner of that, uh, that rink uh, was nice enough to extend an invite for me to come out there and play a little mite hockey uh, and just try it out to see if I liked it, fall in love with it from there. Uh, and then as, as I grew up, the game of hockey in Nashville started to grow too. So I kind of grew up. I saw uh, another sheet of another rink be built and then two more rinks be built. And by the time I was 16 or 17, we had uh, almost four full um, places built for hockey, which is really cool. So we had around six or seven sheets. And now, now uh, I'm getting one of my hometown in Clarksville. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had to drive to Nashville every single day, but I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything. So who was your guy? Who, who was your favorite player? Jordan Tutu. Uh, he's from Canada, um, northern part of Canada. I can't can't really remember the the part. Uh, I know I talked to Ash Ashley Stevenson uh, with the Canadians about him a lot, uh, oh. but he he was in a fight. He was wearing number fifty five before he turned to twenty two. And he was in a fight that first game I watched, and he scored a goal. So um, easy to fall in love with him. Were you able to get to Bridgestone much? I was. As a kid, uh, we shared season tickets um, with another one of our hockey friends' uh, family. And after practice, we'd go and run and catch the last two periods a lot uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then the weekends, it'd be off and on. So if we weren't traveling and the other family wasn't, wasn't going, we would go and then uh, got rid of them later. I think when I turned 13 or 14 and then I started to go on by myself uh, with my friends after that. So, I mean, you, you've documented sort of the hockey history, but obviously you were playing baseball through all of this, I imagine, as well. Were you a multi-sport guy growing up? Correct. Uh, when I was young, I played baseball, hockey, and a little bit of soccer and then uh, kind of shied away from soccer. Um, ended up just playing baseball in the summers, springs in the summers, hockey in the fall, winter. Um, and then really it didn't have any controversy or any, any collision of, of timeframes until I turned, I think, 14 or 15 in, in high school. And then that's when uh, the hockey season kind of went into the start of baseball season. And that's when they, they started to collide. So you've arrived here in Vancouver for a second summer now with the Canadians. Uh, long way from home. Uh, what were your thoughts when you realized that the path was going to take you out of country and uh, to Vancouver? Uh, out of country, I uh, I didn't realize that until probably a month in that we even had an affiliate up here. Uh, I knew of Vancouver because of the Canucks. Um, so when I think of Vancouver, I think of the Canucks. Um, and then when I got more into detail. Uh, my first off season of where I could go the next season, which was last year, um, Vancouver was was there, and I started to, to become more fond of, of Vancouver and what it had to offer. And then I got up here, and I'm in love with it. So this this place this place is awesome. I tell all my buddies and my family back home, it's you have to come up here and see it at least once because this place is awesome. Garrett, you're selling your hockey career a little short here, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I see you're on a pretty good travel team, uh, 14, 15, 16. You played in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, did you? I did. I did when I was 12. <laughs> yep. Went up to Quebec for a week, week and a half, and stayed with the host family, a billet family, um, for that week, and, and got to compete against some of those guys, so it was really fun. You have your own elite ho- prospects page. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of player were you? I see you're a forward. What kind of player were you? Uh, I was a center and a wing. It kind of depended. Um, 
was every now and then I, I'd switch off to wing, but uh, 14 to 15 and half of 16, I was a center. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's, I liked going everywhere. I didn't like being limited as a wing to be on the boards or blocking shots up top in the D zone. I like being goal line to goal line. So uh, center was my spot uh, mm. if, I, if I get to choose. And uh, I saw you say last year when you first got up here, man, if you knew you were staying at UBC and there was a rink right next door, you'd be skating every day. But a surgery has put the uh, skating on hold, has it, this summer? Yeah. Uh, skating... I could skate, but if I'm going to be on a sheet of ice, I, I want to have a stick in my hand. So mm-hmm. that's where it comes. I had, I had wrist surgery. So um, obviously hockey, shooting, a lot to do with the wrist. Um, so I thought it'd be better if I just forced myself to leave them in Tennessee, not even bring them to, to Florida uh, for a spring training and force myself not to have them up here. But I still, I'm still wanting to get out there and it's eating at me because uh, I am healthy, <laughs> but um, I just haven't put a lot of effort into getting out there this year uh play college ball at austin p coming on up to vancouver and playing before that crowd at the nat uh what's that been like for you playing at one of the iconic venues in in minor league baseball it's awesome um a lot of the guys we we talk about it all the time how spoiled we are uh to be able to play at at the nat uh, and have so many people uh, envy coming to the games and having a good time. And it, you, you usually don't get that um, throughout a lot of minor league baseball uh, cities or, or lower level, not high or triple A uh, cities. So it's, it's really unique and we all soak it in. I know I do. Uh, so playing in front of 6,000, uh, 6,000 people is more than what I'm, what I was used to. So it was definitely a shock, but it was a good shock. You guys have been putting on a pretty good show for the, the people that go out to the Nat this year. A lot of winning. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I, I can see year over year individually, your statistics are up across the board. Uh, what kind of year are you having and just how much fun are you guys having as a group? Uh, as a group, we're, we're having a blast. Uh, that's another thing we always talk about is how, how tight knit. Uh, our group is um, we've had some guys leave but the guys that came up uh, they gelled right in with us and uh, we all love each other and it's, it makes it very very easy to come to the field and play and um, we uh, we clinched up the playoff spot already so now we're here looking we're trying to stay healthy uh, just playing good baseball still um, and it's it's been an awesome time and I've had uh, a better year than last year and the year before i think that has has to do with uh, my wrist being healthy but also being more comfortable with with minor league pitching and and getting taking that next step well you hit a two out grand slam in everett in early june and then you guys came back to the nat and you hit a two-run walk-off and uh tyler zickel play-by-play voice of the seas is come to calling it the summer of Spain. What do you think of that? Uh, Zick's awesome. Uh, love Zick. He's, he's awesome, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure to have him around the clubhouse every day. And then my family, uh, my mom and dad are always talking about, uh, who's that Tyler guy? Who's the announcer? I got to meet him. Like he's the best guy ever. Uh, but it's, it's awesome to have that guy, that guy in your corner every day, uh, talking about your performances. If I can uh, use a hockey term here with you, 
uh, after the walk-off at the Nat on June 15th, I was quite a Sally, Garrett. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was a yeah. little skip to my Lou rounding first. <laughs> yeah. You brought, uh, broke out the six shooters rounding <laughs> second. <laughs> Yeah. And then spiked the helmet at ho- at home plate. <laughs> if you haven't gotten the bill from Andy Dunn, you will. Uh, mm-hmm. And then went to pump up the crowd, man. It was quite a scene at the Nat. Tell, do you remember it? Tell us about I, it. I do. Um, honestly, didn't think the ball was going to get out. Uh, so I hit it, and I was like, oh, that has a chance. And then I started running. And then once I realized it went out, uh, I I kind of blacked out from there until <laughs> – I got home, and then once I got home, I was just worried about uh, not getting stepped on. Um, and then after that, I was fired up, obviously. Uh was going to give high fives, and Brent, Brent, uh, our manager, was like, uh, let him know or fire him up. And, I mean, I'm already blacked out and, and, and happy at that point, and I hear that. Uh, so I just let it go and let the, let the crowd feel the emotion that I was feeling. Well, uh, the Vancouver Canadians are back at the Nats starting here on Tuesday for another home series. It's a Friday nooner, and uh, are we looking at fireworks on Saturday? So fireworks when Garrett Spain comes up in the ninth mm. inning and fireworks on Saturday regardless. as the summer of Spain and a fantastic one for the Vancouver Canadians continues here this week. Garrett, this was great fun. Thanks for the time. Best of luck this week and going forward. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. So here's some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips? It's going to be great. So big night at Karen Magnuson last night on the North Shore. Grady Sass, Connor Bedard, Kent Johnson, Andrew Crystal in the playoff sudden death of the inline. Was it North Shore inline adult, adult hockey, hockey league. league? Yeah, they lost in overtime. It was Whoa. a thrilling match. 5 5 after two. Two, two, uh, two goals scored in the second period for each team. Overtime, great guys killed off a four on two power play. That's Bedard's team, the yes, great the guys. The great guys, yeah. And uh, it was funny because Bedard took a penalty and I was helping out with the broadcast crew and I got instructed to go to the penalty box to build a barricade, use my big wingspan mat to block all the uh, kids from trying to get into the (laughs) penalty box so they could talk (laughs) with him and uh, take photos and selfies and whatever. So, uh, yeah, it was a fun night. Um, And then afterwards... Lots of kids hang, hanging around, waiting to see if they can get an autograph. Uh, me and a couple of guys kind of escort them out the building in the back there and just made sure nobody I saw he signed for the kids, though, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah. Good on him. Yeah, well, Good on him. He, he is he, a great guy. Yeah, he took the time to do that. And, you know, it, they were saying him might have been his last ever time he played roller hockey. So well, we'll see how that all shakes out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, nonetheless, uh, fantastic game against the Vancouver Warriors. Well, congratulations uh, to them. I mean, yeah. you beat a team with that kind of ice hockey talent on it. You're doing something right. Yeah, they're a pro team out of Langley. The Vilio brothers, um, a couple of them play in the ECHL. 
incredibly structured and talented ah. team. It just they played together for so long, and it's it's a it's quite a different game than ice hockey. I, a lot of people think that you know Bedard and Johnson they should be able to run the table, and yeah, you would think that until you play a team that's been together for a long time here. So and somewhere Rick Talkett is smiling. Yeah, ah, structure. Yeah, structure beat talent. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I just want the Vilio brothers didn't need your personal security detail. Yes. They, they were able to leave the building okay. They. Yeah. All right. We. Uh, I'm getting ideas here for Go Goat Sports. Using him just as a physical barrier. He produces, he publishes, he operates, he does all the social media, and we can use his flesh and bone as just physical matter in front of something. Five tool player, Grady Sass. Jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. I'm on here a couple of times. I, I neglected to give my first Bodog line of the day. It was on this Canada-Ireland match tomorrow at the FIFA uh, World Cup. Canada's minus 150, Ireland plus 460. The draw here at plus 235. I'm going draw, just feel the... Uh, I, I just don't like a, the vibe need, around Canada right yeah, now. They need more than a draw. Uh, they do. They do. Ireland was very, as we talked about, Ireland was very game against the host Aussies in the opening match. And then we neglected to mention the cracking goal from Lionel Messi for Inter-Miami and the absolute storybook start to his MLS career. The clip had been seen something like 36 million times. It's astonishing. In 24 hours. I haven't looked to see what it's at now. but uh, The numbers that he is racking up on social media for for Inter-Miami and MLS, Grady's very jealous. Oh, clips for days, huh, buddy? Um, that's it on my list. Anything on yours, Grady? Not a- Okay, Jeff Patterson, Bodog Line of the Daytime. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Jeff, who you like, what you got? Well, Brooke Henderson is defending her major championship at the Evian in France this week, but Brooke hasn't had a great season. She won her opening event. And that's her only top 10 yeah. all year. I, I look for her weekly on the leaderboard, and I just have to scroll too far she down. She was 12th at the U.S. Open a couple of weeks ago, but never in contention. Like She finished ahead of most of the field, but was never a factor in that no. event. She's missed her last two cuts. So Bodog has her pegged at plus 3,500 as the defending champ. Mm. Maybe she gets some vibes what, going what back. What choice to- is that? How many... Uh, how many golfers are favored beyond that or a shorter odds? Do you have that in front of you? I had it earlier. Okay, I, I would say 10 or 12 are ahead of her. Okay. But you can get Brooke Henderson at plus 3,500, plunk down 20 bucks, pays out at 700 if she can channel uh, those memories of winning there a year ago. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us and Rankwide wherever you get your podcasts. And then follow us on all the social media outlets, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Threads. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.